Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How's everybody doing? We good? You guys sound fantastic today. Like, not just kind of good. Like, really, really good. Look to the person on your right or left and say, you sound great today. Look to the other person and be like, you sound all right. You sound all right. I, uh, I'm glad that you're here today. We say it very regularly, but we never take it for granted when you choose to spend part of your Sunday with us. And, uh, and what I mean by that is we know there's a lot of other things that you could do, a lot of other places that you could go on a Sunday, uh, whether that's just a random place or you could go to another church. And there's some fantastic churches in our community I'm friends with a lot of the pastors in our town, and and they love the Lord, and they're leading phenomenal churches. And uh, and so we recognize that this is a place that for this season, the Lord has brought you here, and our hope is that you put down roots, and that this is a place that together with us, you can grow old, and you can raise your family, and you can invest in the next generation, and you can discover why God uniquely created you and the purpose that's inside of you so that you can make a difference in the lives of those around you. And so that's our hope. Uh, and, and prayer for you and for us. But I, I'm thankful that you're here today on this specific Sunday, this last Sunday of August. And that means that September is right around the corner. And I say it, I think that makes me sound old. I can't believe it's already almost September. Like time flies when you're having fun. Evidently, we've had a blast this year because I feel like we just celebrated the new year. And it just Easter was just like four days ago is what it feels like to me. And so many things like that. But man, time's flying. And so uh, with September means that next Sunday is Labor Day weekend. And so we are going to gather on that Sunday, but we do it as a holiday service schedule, one service, 10 a.m. We want you to be here. We've got a really great day, and we've got one of our very own. Uh, Ken Summers is going to be speaking next Sunday. And uh, absolutely, Carson's really, really excited about that. But uh, Ken is uh, just a fantastic communicator. He spoke back in the spring uh, on our Communicator Sunday, and uh, he's got a, a testimony and a story that uh, you're going to want to hear. And so I hope you'll be with us next Sunday, 10 a.m., uh, Labor Day weekend, be here for the holiday service schedule. So for those of you that are in this service, the 9.30 service, like if you show up early, you're going to get a lot of coffee, and you're going to hang out. Uh, our 11 o'clock crowd will be here just in time for the dismissal. So uh, that's going to be great. But to be here next Sunday for a really, really great day. Today we are concluding... This series that we've been in the last three weeks called Object Lessons. And what that's looked like over these first few weeks is we have looked to some specific stories in Scripture and we've connected an illustration or a a story to that that would help us to understand that truth or maybe just give us something to reflect back on during the week. And so we've given you something to take home with you every single week. So the first week, we talked about the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And we gave you a little bottle of sand. We said, hey, don't build sandcastle houses. They won't stand up. And then the second week, we took some Legos, and we showed you this beautiful thing, constructed 2,300 pieces, this space shuttle, and we said, hey, we take these one little pieces. We don't really know how they fit together in the constructed piece, the final outcome of all of these things. But if we give our one piece, one day at a time, to God, we trust and believe that he can make something beautiful out of those individual pieces that we don't always see how they play together. And then last week, we talked about the Passover from the Old Testament, and we connected that Passover story to the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And we gave you a piece of wood that was painted red, a little popsicle stick. I told all of you we painted a door, and some of you were like, or my, my 
third son said this, and then a bunch of you said, hey, I needed that door. If you were giving doors away, we're doing a project, but uh, we gave you a little piece of wood, so maybe you can put a thousand of those together and build your own door. But uh, today we've got something else for you. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, as, we, as we jump into this, I want to tell you a little bit about, about me and our family and Corey and I and our marriage we have a really great marriage, but there, there's one thing that creates about as much strife in our marriage as anything else that we do, and it's when we work on home projects together. Uh, there's just something about us trying to do projects together that really illustrates how different we are in so many different ways. Here, I'll give you a great example. When we want to, and I say we, I mean Corey, when we want to hang a picture or a shelf or any type of home decor on a wall in our home, we go about it two different ways, all right? Now, I don't claim to be, you know, like the greatest home decorator project guy. I'm a great helper. If you're like, hey, I need a hammer, I'll grab the hammer, give it to you. I'm good at the helper job. But if Corey's like, hey, we're going to hang a shelf, we're going to hang a picture, I assume, incorrectly so, I've realized now, I assume that that means we need a few tools, we need a hammer and nails, or we need a drill and screws, if we're, you know, depending on how we're hanging and what we're hanging. We need a level, and we need a tape measure, and we're going to determine how far it is between the two windows or between the corners of the wall, and we're going to make sure we get it at the height we want it, and then we're going to take something kind of like this, and we're going to go, okay, yep, that, it, oh, nope, that, that's level, and then we're going to put it up there. Corey has a totally different approach. She's like, I want it right there. That looks level, bang, and it's up. Now, Here's the great challenge. If I were to do what she did, and we've done it three or four hundred times, if I'm just like, that's the spot, even if I take the level and the tape measure, she always walks in and is like, the right side's too low. Every single, I don't have the ability to hang anything straight, is really what I've learned. But when she hangs it, and she's almost always right, without any type of modern technology, she has the ability to make it straight. It's, it's unbelievable how the Lord has graced her with that gift. I don't have that gift. I use every tool at my disposal, and the right side's still too low. Now, let me give you a second story that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. This one tells completely on me. We have four kids, so Cooper, Branson, Tucker, and then we have Kinley. And when Kinley was being born, so right before we went to the hospital, I said to Corey, I was like, you know what? I get a week off. Uh, just for paternity leave, I get a week off. And so I think what I'm going to do, we, we wanted to redo the floors in the main level of our house. While I'm home next week, I'm going to redo the floors. That's what she did right there. That's, she was like, are you sure? I'm like, I mean, it's click and lock. How long could it take? How hard could it be? I had watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I felt very equipped for this job. And so we go to the hospital, have the baby, bring Kinley home, and that night, I start ripping up floors. I mean, just ripping up. Demo day is always fun, right? So I ripped those things up. And so we had the floors already in our garage. We'd had them for a few weeks. And so I decided, okay, now is the time. So I, I, I had a guy in our church at that time who came over and he showed me, hey, here's how you want to start. And we picked the kind of starting spot. And so I started that first run and I ran it from the door kind of along the first wall all the way through, and I got all the way to the end of that first run, and even though I was straight at the beginning, when I got all the way to the end, I was about this far away from the wall. I thought, man, I, I don't know. So I pulled it all up, restarted. I don't mind telling you it took me two days to get the first run down. Just the, I mean, they're this wide. Just one long run, it took me two days to get that down. So then I was like, you know what, maybe... Maybe if I put a second or third row in and just push them real hard, it'll get back. That's what she did too. And so 
So I got two, three runs, and I just pushed. So finally, I, I was like, I'm not too proud. So I called the guy back. I was like, hey, can you come over and just help me? I'm just a little, little bit confused by what's happening. He came in. He honestly, he walked in. He had a level, and he had a chalk line. He walks in. He puts the level on where I was at, and then he takes the chalk line. He runs it from the starting point all the way to the wall, drops it down, pops the floor, and he says, here's the problem. Your wall's not straight. I was like, that would have been good to know like 72 hours ago. So thanks for your help. I'm going to keep the chalk line. And so I reran it a couple of different times. And here's what we realized. It wasn't my fault. I don't know if we realized that, but I realized. I blamed that builder of that house really until we moved a couple years later. I mean, every time people would walk in, they'd be like, your floors look so great. I'm like, that wall's not straight. It's the builder's fault. Like, I just wanted to make sure they knew that it wasn't my fault. Because here's what we know. Here's what we know. There are some times that the things that we try to do, whether we're, you know, using a level or we're just eyeballing it, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out. Sometimes things just don't look right. They just don't look straight. They just don't seem to level up and to be exactly what we want them to be. And as I was thinking about today in anticipation of our time together, I recognized that that is a really great description of the world that we live in right now. I mean, how many of us have seen some of the news stories and we've talked to people and we've listened to people and we've kind of looked around us and we're like, I mean, that just, you just kind of turn your head to the side and you squint a little bit and you're like, something just, it seems a little off. Like some of the things that I hear and some of the things we're fighting about and some of the things that people are defending or we are, like it just, it just doesn't seem right. So what happens? Like, how do you know what's right? How do you know when something is a little off? Like, how to get it back on track? Because here's what the problem is. If you eyeball it, and it seems right to you, and I eyeball it, and it seems right to me, and your neighbor eyeballs it, and it seems right to them, now you got three or four different opinions. Now you got three or four different people speaking into what could be right or what might be right, and that's where we get confused. Because here's what we all know. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got at least one of them, Right? And so when you start, that was really funny. I don't know how you missed that. I don't know. Anyway, that's fine. That's fine. You're not with me. It's all right. But when we have a standard, when we have something that we can hold up against it, and we say, no, I knew it didn't seem right, but you know what? It absolutely is. There's a standard. There's something that I can hold up next to it that shows me that it's just a little bit off. We aren't the first people in history to struggle with this. Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says this, In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what, everybody just eyeballed it. It's like, well, today this seems right. Tomorrow this seems right. The next day this seems right. It feels good to me. I don't care what you do. My truth's my truth. Your truth's your truth. Whatever I want to do, I can do, and I'm justified to do. It just seems right in my eyes, and so... It's right, whether you agree with it or not. Which brings us to this thought, like what is morality? What is, what is this right that we're talking about? There's actually two types of morality in the world. The first is called subjective morality. Subjective morality is a morality created by the subject. You are the subject. I'm the subject. It's created by the individual to choose what is right for them, it's subjective. It's case by case. It changes depending on what we're doing and what we're looking at and where we're at and what situation 
we are in. It is subject to our environment and subject to our circumstances and subject to what we believe or what we feel in that moment. It's subjective morality. It evolves. That's why there's things that you used to think were wrong, but now you are convinced they aren't wrong anymore. And you used to think things were okay, but now you've decided that they're bad. We construct our morality moment by moment to determine what is right in that moment so often. The second type of morality is called objective morality. And it's morality that's created by an outside object and adopted by the subject. Again, you're the subject, I'm the subject. And we're saying that there is a morality, perhaps if we buy into this, that is created outside of ourselves, but we believe into and we buy into and we live by that set of standards. Now, you can connect the dots, but before we get there, let me give you a great example. I love to play golf. I'm not the best golfer. Definitely not the worst golfer because I played with some of our people in our church. So, I mean, this is like there's a wide gamut. I'm not the best. I know that. But I got some good friends that are good golfers. And so, like, I love to play golf. When I show up at the golf course, I walk up on the first tee. I put the ball on the tee, in the ground, on the first tee. I I have decided at that point that I am playing golf, right? So I'm going to hit the ball. Now, In golf, there are some rules. There's some things that you can do and some things that you can't do. There are lines and boundary markers that say this is out of bounds and this is inbounds and this is what's appropriate for this game. You get up on the green, you can switch clubs, you use your putter and you roll it into the hole with the putter. But if I decide that I want to get up on the green and I don't want to use my putter, I don't like my putter, so I'm just going to pick the ball up and I'm going to roll it in the hole. In that moment, I am no longer playing golf. I'm playing another game that I just made up that I'm going to call Rolly Golf. I'm just going to call it Rolly Golf because I got up on the green and I decided I don't want to play by the rules of golf anymore. I want to make up my own rules, so I'm going to play Rolly Golf. You have every right to do that. You can decide to play your own game, make up your own rules. You can create YouTube tutorials and try to recruit millions of people around the world to begin playing your version of Rolly Golf, but you are no longer playing golf because you are no longer playing by the established rules of the game. Well, the same thing is true. You know where I'm going. I got an amen over here. Here's what I got. Or you're really passionate about golf. I'm not really sure. But here's here's what I know. Here's what you know. We've already kind of connected the dots. The same is true in Christianity. The same is true in Christianity. We believe in objective morality. That you and I don't just get to choose what we believe to be right. You You and I don't get to choose just in the moment, what we think is right for this moment, we believe, according to the Bible, that there is absolute truth. We believe, according to God's word, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he literally came to the earth and lived a blameless, sinless life, and yet he was arrested and convicted and went to die on a cross for us. He was placed into a tomb after his death, and he literally resurrected. That's what we believe. We believe in the literal interpretation of scripture, So then we submit ourselves to the word of God. You don't have to do that. No one is forcing you to do that. God created each of us with a free will. And you can choose to make up your own roly golf version of religion. But once you and I say that I am accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you, you, you say, I'm going to believe the word of God. This is my mom's Bible. I, I, I'm saying like the truths of scripture that were true for my mom and true for my grandparents and true for my great-grandparents, the truths of Scripture that I'm trying to live my life upon, this is the absolute authority for my life. 
You don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to pick and choose which parts of this I want to believe and which parts of this I don't like to believe. I don't get to just say, well, I'm going to play kind of Christianity, but I'm going to make it roly golf in these situations because I don't like what it says. You and I have to choose in that moment, I'm going to stand upon the word of God. It is the absolute truth, and it's the only standard for living. It's the only way that you and I can determine what is right and what is wrong without it being subjective morality. Without it just being like whatever you think is right and whatever I think is right, moment by moment, circumstance by circumstance, there's a level. We hold it up against things to determine in this world what measures up and that we can say with confidence that's just not right. It's just not true. And we can do that with absolute confidence because there is a standard in this world. It is the word of God. Here's what we believe about Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God Maybe thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a couple of phrases there I want us to define together before we move on to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. The first of them was it's useful for teaching or doctrine. Teaching or doctrine teaches us what is right. Scripture will teach us what is right. It teaches us a doctrine. It teaches us things that we can base our lives upon. We say this is truth, and we move forward with that truth. The second thing that it talks about there is it's useful for rebuking. Or reproof, depending on your translation of scripture. That's just teaching us what's not right. It's teaching us that there are some things that are not right in this world and in the way that we live our lives. And so we need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected in that regard. And so then the third thing that we see is that correction piece. Correction teaches us the consequences of sin. It's not necessarily telling us you are wrong. That's the rebuke or reproof piece. It's saying you are wrong and there is a consequence if you continue down this track. If you continue in this line of behavior, there is, you need to correct this behavior because the way that you are headed will lead you astray. And the fourth thing that we see is instruction. But we, God doesn't want you to be led astray. He wants to give you instruction on how to live righteously. For the wages of sin, we said last week, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus His goal for you is not eternal death or damnation. It is life for eternity with him. That is his desire for all of us, that through love and compassion and grace and mercy, he instructs us in the ways that we should live to honor and glorify him. The Bible is this powerful instrument. It isn't something that we should just sit casually on a coffee table or a nightstand. It's not just another app on your phone or your iPad. It's powerful. It's the breath of God. And it has purpose. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us a little bit about that purpose when it says this, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. I was trying to bring a sword up here, but I was scared I'd hurt myself. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I want you to notice something right here in this passage of scripture. It penetrates the soul and the spirit. It judges, judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know what I can't know about you? 
Like, there's a lot of things I can know about you. We judge a book by our, its cover. We all do that if we're not careful. And, you know, we're thankful for the passage of the Old Testament where God looks at the heart. A man looks on the outside. Well, guess what? God, man looks on the outside. And so there's a lot that we can know about one another and judge about one another and see about one another. We can see the fruit of our lives and we can see the product of our lives and the way that we conduct ourselves. But there's some things that I can't know. I can't see your soul. I can't see your spirit. I, I can't actually see unless there's some unhealth there. I can't see your joints and your marrow. I can't see your thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. And so what this tells me in Hebrews chapter 4 is that the first place that the double-edged penetrating sword of God's word should start is in the secret places that you only see in yourself. That before I take God's word, and let's just act like this is a sword, before I take God's word and I use it as a sword against someone else, that double-edged sword penetrates me. It cuts into the inside of me and it judges my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. It does a work in my soul and in my spirit. And I am convinced, and you may not be, and that's okay, but I am as convinced as I can possibly be that most of the people that we interact with are not that concerned about us bringing God's word to them. They're not that concerned about us bringing truth and our interpretation of truth from God's word to them unless they see hypocrisy, unless they see that we are bringing an instrument to judge them that we are not using to judge ourselves. I am convinced of that. And I believe with all of my heart that if we will start with us, if we will take God's word and we will pray every day, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. If we will ask God to divide our thoughts and the attitudes of our heart, if we will ask him to get into our soul and get into our spirit and do a work in us, then we can take God's word and through the grace and mercy that we receive from God's word, we can give that kind of grace and even correction and rebuking to those in our lives and in relationship with us. But we got to start with us because it's about our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts, the way that God sharpens me. It's the way that God challenges me. And can I just give you a few things? These are not up on the screen. And this may be the spot that you get mad at me. And if you do, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. If the Bible always agrees with me, I'm reading it wrong. If the Bible always hates the people that I hate, I'm reading it wrong. If the Bible can always be used to justify my behavior, I'm reading it wrong. When I read the unchanging word of God, it should change me. Every single time there's something when I read that I'm asking God, the Holy Spirit of God, God, would you take your word and would you get into my thoughts and get into the attitudes of my heart with the double-edged sword of your word, get in and divide those things that do not reflect your character and your nature. If I always read it and always feel good about myself, I am reading it wrong. Because it starts with me. Now, the obvious question becomes, well, what about growing and maturing and understanding? Shouldn't our understanding of Scripture change? 100%. Absolutely it should. I've already told you some stories about me and Corey. We've always argued about home projects. But Corey and I have been married in just a few months. We've been married 19 years. We've known each other for 28 years. You're like, wow, you waited a long time to pop the question. No, I didn't. Back off, all right? We were best friends, and I was like the friend in the rom-com, like while she dated all these other people, I was like just a really good, safe friend until I was tired of being her friend, right? I was just like, all right, we got to, you're wasting your time over there. And so like 28 years, we've known each other. 19 years almost, we've been married. 
There are a ton of things I know about that woman right there. there. There's a ton that she knows about me. My understanding of who she is is pretty great. But there's a lot that I still don't get. There, there's random days and random times when we're having conversations, and I'll kind of turn my head to the side and squint my eyes a little bit and be like, what? I don't, it's like that scene from Rush Hour where he looks at it and says, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth at all. I don't know, I don't understand. I just, I don't understand. So that's going to happen. We've been married almost 19 years. Our, our goal when we got married was to be married 75 years. That's what we said. We got 56 to go, right? Don't laugh at me. I know, you're looking at me, you're like, you're not, I don't know, 56, that's, that's all, 56, that's the goal, that's the plan. And the goal is that at the end of those 56 years, we're just going to know everything, we're just going to understand everything, right? But there are some things that as we do life together, that we still are trying to understand more and more. It's the same with the Bible. When I read God's word, there are things that I've read five times, 10 times, 20 times. But when I read it this time, man, it spoke something different into my heart. There was something that happened on the inside of me when I read it this time. It never challenged me the way it challenged me this time. And that happens. And the reason that I believe that happens is because it's active, it's alive. That's what we just read, right? And what I believe is that what we just read in 2 Timothy is true, that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And the spirit that inspired those writers to write is the same spirit that inspires the readers as we read. I believe that the active, alive word of God, as we read it, can speak into and inspire and change our hearts and our lives if we ask God to do those things. So there may be things that you didn't understand or you thought you understood, but as you read them, they mean something different. You interpret them in a different way. But here's a great filtering question. Here's a great filtering question. As you read the word of God and you're trying to figure out where it lines up and what it should do to you and how does this... Here's the filtering question for all of us. Did my interpretation change because I understand God better, or did my interpretation change because it makes me feel better? Did I read it and adjust what I thought because it makes my actions right now more justifiable, or did I read it and believe that God changed through the revelation of the Holy Spirit my understanding of who he was and what he was trying to demonstrate through his word? It's a great filtering question for all. I don't want to mislead you. There are parts of the Bible that are very hard to read, hard to understand, hard to apply. But that doesn't mean that I don't think they're true. They are true. I believe them to be true. I've staked my life on the fact that God's word is absolutely true. So when I come to the end of my human comprehension, I choose to read it and apply it by faith. When I can't make sense of all of it, I just say, God, I know that at some point you're going to help me to understand this in ways that you've done previously to other parts of your word. And so I'm reading this by faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My faith grows as I hear and read the word of God. Sometimes I read the Bible out loud. It helps me to comprehend it. It helps me to apply it. And I pray, God, Lord, help me to believe it. Even if I can't fully comprehend it, help me to trust you and trust your word. When I pray those prayers, God's word comes alive in our hearts. It will lead us and guide us and protect us. Right in the middle of the Bible is Psalm 119, longest chapter of Scripture. Several verses I want to hit quickly before we move towards 
kind of our closing here. Psalm 119 verses 9 and then 11 says this, how can a young man or a young woman stay pure by obeying your word? Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is our level. It's what keeps us on the straight and narrow. It's what helps us to stay pure. It's what helps us to stay true. It's what illuminates our path. It's what illuminates our feet as we walk in ways that would honor and please God, we hold it up against our lives to determine what is it that we're doing and how does this displease God or how does this please God? Is it just a little bit off? Because if it's just a little bit off, I can correct it right now and it doesn't necessarily cost me a lot. It doesn't hurt me that much. If it's just a little bit off, if I just constantly stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and I say, I just need to determine like, okay, I'm just a little bit off. I'm going to bring it back into correction here, which is the purpose, one of the purposes of God's word. God, I want to bring it back to correction I want to stay on the straight and narrow. I want to stay in that narrow path that you talk about to inherit the kingdom of God. And so I use God's word as a level. I put it in my heart. It lights my feet and lights my path. It starts with us individually. But I started by saying we live in a crazy, sinful, fallen world. There are things that are taking place around us right now that like boggle the mind. I, I can't make sense of all of, there's so much like duplicity in our decision making and in our thoughts and in what is right and what is wrong. Like I cannot comprehend how all of those things can be true and yet we are caused to believe or petitioned to believe that all of these things are all true all at the same time and they contradict one another. There, there are things that are taking place in our world right now that previous generations of those who have walked before us in faith and in life would not believe some of the things that our kids are facing and some of the things that we are facing in our culture right now. There are things that I, I, I can't even comprehend, but not because I'm eyeballing it, but because there's a standard and it just doesn't make sense. And when I hold the standard up against it, I say, well, how do we get back on track? By digging deeper into God's word and clinging to the truth of God's word and applying God's word first to me and to, then to those in my home and then to those that I'm in relation, not, not screaming from the rooftops. There, there may be a place for that. Maybe there is. And I'm not here to condemn you if that's your mode of operation here. But what I find most effective and what I find that mirrors the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ is that it starts individually and it moves out relationally. And so what I do is I start with me. And I say, I'm not going to throw stones at you until I make sure there's no sin in me. I'm not going to judge the, the things that I see, like that splinter. That, I, I'm not going to judge that little thing over there because I've got a log in my eye. I, I got something that it's easy for me to look at you and say you're wrong, but I don't want you to look at what's wrong in me. And so I start with God's word and I hold that standard up against my heart and my mind and my hands and my behavior. And I say, God, would you begin revival in me? And then would you begin it in my house? 
And then would you begin it in my workplace and in my relationships? And it goes from there. But there is a time that we take that standard and we hold it up against what we see going on around us. And in those moments, what should we do? How should we respond? Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Skipping to verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You read through Ephesians chapter 6, you see the entire armor of God. We did a series on this several years ago, several summers ago. We may revisit that in 2023 at some point. But of all of the various pieces of the armor of God, only the sword of the Spirit is offensive. There's a helmet, and there's a belt, and there's shoes, and there's a shield, which I guess could be somewhat offensive. But almost all of them are for defense and protection, except the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so here's what I know. My opinion, no matter how well-informed it is, cannot play offense. It can't. My thoughts, my beliefs and interpretation and what seems right in my eye, that can't play offense. You know what can play offense? The Word of God. And here's how I can prove it. Because Jesus himself was tempted in every way as we are tempted. He was led out into the wilderness by the enemy for 40 days. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written. Not one time in the three specific temptations that were brought did Jesus say, I think you're wrong. Not one time, even though he was the Son of God, did he say, Well, I, I, don't, I think you're missing the point. You know what he did? He quoted God's word right back to the enemy. And so you and I can take that example anytime we see something coming and it just, man, it just, tell these stones to turn to bread. That, that seems like temptation that you would, no, 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 it is written. And then we speak the truth of God's word. We use the written word of God, the inspiration, the God-breathed scriptures that we have in our hands to play offense. But we make sure that we've started with ourselves. We read earlier 2 Timothy chapter 2, a few verses there to talk about the inspiration of Scripture. But I want to go back and I want to close today by looking at what the Apostle Paul wrote in the context of that verse, those, cha- that, those verses there in the chapter of, of 2 Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the pillars of the faith, wrote a huge majority, huge chunk of the New Testament that we have. And he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. As I read these words, I just want you to kind of think about the world that we're living in right now and think about how this might apply to where we find ourselves. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Skipping to verse 14. But as for you, Timothy... 
Generations Church. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As the world gets worse, we must hold fast to God's word. I saw a video on Instagram this last week where a Christian brother said this about God's word. He said, when it comes to the Bible, I stand on it. It's my foundation. We talked about that in week one. He said, but I also stand under it. Christ is my Lord. I hold this book in high regard. It's not just one of the things that I read. It is something that reads me. It's a double-edged sword. It's active and alive. It cuts into my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. It divides my soul and my spirit to determine, am I on the level? Is there any wicked way in me? I stand on it as the foundation of my life, but I stand under its authority over my life. That the Jesus Christ of Scripture is the Son of God, that he came for the salvation of mankind. And this world around us is only going to get crazier. But if we apply the standard, we won't be led astray. If we apply the standard, you may get into arguments at holiday meals and on your job. That's not the intent. That's not the purpose. We're not looking to pick fights. But we're going to stand on what is right and stand on what is true. And so today when you leave, you're going home with a little level. You're going to go home. I want you to take it and I want you to put it somewhere so that you can be reminded that in the craziness of this world, that in the chaos that's going on around us and all of the things that people are trying to convince us, this is right and in this situation, that is right and you can, you can just choose your own truth and have this subjective morality. That is not true. There is morality. There is right and wrong. There is truth and it is outside of ourselves and we must choose to adhere to it. It begins in my heart, and then in my home, and then in relationships, and one by one, by one, by one, by one, it makes its way into the various corners of our lives because there is a standard. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of reflection between you and the Lord as we come to a close of today and we come to a close of this series all that God's done these last several weeks to be reminded of his truth. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I never have been, or maybe I thought I was at some point in the past, but I've done my very best to walk away from him. But today I want to recommit my heart and my life to him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Nobody's looking around. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Any other hands? Thank you today for your boldness to respond. And if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to do a better job of applying God's word to my heart first. I, I want to use that standard on my life before I try to use it anywhere else. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? My hand's up. Thank you so much. God, today I thank you for the timeless truth of your word.
We stand on it as our foundation and we stand under it as our authority. There is a standard. So God, we cling to that standard. We hold to it. God, I pray now for every single person that lifted their hands to say, I need to be saved. I am a sinner in need of a savior. So God, we ask that you would change their hearts and lives. We believe you change their eternity right now. And so God, we thank you for that. And we celebrate with that decision that's been made. And God, we pray for those that lifted their hands to say, I want to apply God's word. I want to apply the standard to my heart and my life, my thoughts, the attitudes of my heart. God, would you help us to apply your word? Would it cut into us and change us and transform us? God, as it does, begin with us individually and then in our homes and relationships, God, to literally change the world. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And God, we thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.